Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, that dang old internet, man, you just go on there and point and click it and then talk about www.com. For some reason or another, you sound a little taller on radio. Well, for my money, he's got all the facial characteristics of a criminal. Now, here's your host, that gravy soppin', crappie floppin', stump jumpin', bobble thumpin', gun totin', mater growin' son of a gun, the backwoods Baptist himself, Pastor Harold Smith. I am your host, Harold Smith, the Backwoods Baptist, and it's good to be back on the Backwoods Baptist podcast where I get to talk about whatever I want to. For the past couple weeks, I've been uh, doing a weekly podcast with Wade Lentz at the uh, Patriot Pastors Podcast. If you're not familiar with that, uh, that's my good friend Wade Lentz and I get together. Uh, we try to do it every other week, and on the odd weeks that I'm not recording a podcast with him, I try to record one here at the Backwoods Baptist. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a number of issues, but uh, last week, when I would normally do this podcast, we talked about the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we try to recap that every year. Wade and I each used to be Southern Baptist at one time, so we weigh in, give our thoughts on that. A uh, week before that, we talked about the documentary dealing with the Gothard movement, Bill Gothard, the Duggars. Uh, that documentary was called Happy Shiny People. Anyways, I got those out of the way. I got an off week. So I'm like, let's talk about something that I, I really kind of been on my heart really for the last probably two, three weeks. If you're not familiar with the Backwoods Baptist podcast, this first time ever tuning in, we look at things the way Baptists did in centuries past. Uh, Baptists were pioneer missionaries that we planted churches where no other church was currently planted at. We covered the backwoods of America and spread the Baptist view of the Bible throughout the land. And in my opinion, we need to get back to a simple backwoods Baptist message, not one that's filled with words we don't understand or, uh, uh, you know, big fancy ideas or the latest greatest. We just want to pry a heaping helping of country fried common sense with an open Bible to issues of the day. You too might be a backwoods Baptist. If at your church, people have been showing up with bags of cucumbers and squash, passing them out and saying, please, we can only eat so many pickles. <laughs> Help us uh, take the rest of these cucumbers. By the way, I got my first, my first ripe tomato today. It's not quite ripe, but it's it's so ripe you don't want to risk it to anything. So you pick it, let it sit on the windowsill for a day, and eat it tomorrow. But the first one came off the vine today, and there's lots of green ones out there, and we're just waiting, waiting for the good Lord to turn the fruit from green to red so that it's edible for human consumption. If you read into that, you'll realize I don't eat fried green tomatoes. Anyways, what are we going to talk about today? I want to talk about impromptu speaking or impromptu speeches. Um, the word used to be extemporaneous speaking. And the idea here is that uh, the occasion called or prompted you to speak. Um, there was no planning. You didn't show up and say, hey, I'm, I want to share with a group of people today. Or no one said, hey, show up, you know, come and, and, and preach to us today. But you as a Christian, you're not a preacher. 
you're just a you're just a a, a God fearing Bible believing Christian, and somebody asks you to say a few words. Now this can happen in a number of ways. Um, I had a couple incidents on the same day here about two weeks ago. I'll share them with you in a minute. But let's say you're at a uh, co-worker's retirement party. You know, you're you're all gathered around the lunchroom one last time, and um, somebody said, "Hey, you know, why don't you say a few words? You've worked with them for fifty years, or and that'd be a long time to work with anybody. You've worked with them for twenty years. Uh, say a few words for us. And what would you say?" You know, a lot of times if we are talking about a topic that we're familiar with, we don't mind getting up. If, if you're a woman and, and you're big into scrapbooking and you're at the scrapbooking convention and somebody says, hey, stand up and tell us how you made your scrapbook or your quilt or whatever your particular hobby is, we don't have any problem doing that. But what if someone says, hey, tell us what you think about this or why don't you say a few words? How will you weave in the gospel or how will you uh, encourage people to consider God or, or look to the Bible for answers? Or how will you point things back to Christ? When we are asked to speak on religious things, it can be terrifying. Uh, even preachers can get uh, really, really uh, uncomfortable if they're not able to just, you know, pour themselves into it and know exactly what they're going to be talking about. So, I'm talking about impromptu speeches. Let me give you two examples. This happened to me on the same day. A few weeks ago, uh, it was like the first week of summer, you know, probably the first Sunday of June, if I remember right. Um, I'm pastoring a, a relatively small church. I'm their interim pastor. We're trying to get some things fixed in the church. And when you pastor a really small church, I'm talking about, you know, 12, 15 people on a Sunday morning would be a pretty good crowd for us. And it's the first week of summer and two or three families, maybe four families all took a vacation at the same time in a church of 15. There's nobody there. And so I prepare a, a breakfast for everybody before church, kind of a brunch before church every Sunday morning gives us an opportunity to sit around fellowship. So I'm sitting at a table. I'm eating sausage egg biscuits across the table from two ladies and it's just the three of us, and it's time for church to start. And I'm like, okay, one lady's leading the singing. One lady's going to be running the sound, and I'm going to be preaching. Do I want to go in there? I'm going through the book of Jude. Do I want to go in there right now and bring a message on apostates uh, trying to creep into the church? Not really. You know, we're sitting here. We're visiting. We're having a good time. Maybe I just need to have a short devotion sitting here at the table and maybe close in prayer. It's no sense in going through this production, if you will, uh, about going through all these steps that we somehow need to do. You know, that may may contradict your idea of worship, but I, I think if we gather together in the name of Christ, we've got liberty to do that. So about that time, a man walked in, another man walked in, and so now there's there's five of us sitting in the kitchen, and church should have started five minutes, ten minutes ago. And I said, guys, how about instead of going in there and, and and me preaching a full message, how about we just meet in here and I'll bring a devotion. We'll discuss a few things. And they said, you know, I think that'd be good since it's just us. We're a small group. And it would give me an opportunity to talk about maybe a subject I wouldn't normally preach on. 
So everybody went to the sanctuary to get their Bibles because a lot of them had set them in their pew. And so we all come back and we sit around. And the whole time I'm walking to get my Bible off the front pew and walking back to the fellowship hall, which takes less than a minute round trip. I'm praying, Lord, I, I need to know what to preach on, what to speak on. Well, I mean, I've got 66 books in my hand. Which of these would you want me to preach or, you know, teach from? And then, you know, what? What illustration, what what text do I need to cover? As I walked back, one verse jumped out at me in my mind, probably because of the size of the group, where two or three are gathered. And I said, hey, you know, there ain't but like, now there, there was three of us, start with now there's five. I was like, let's just talk about the authority of the church. Let's talk about the church and church discipline from Matthew 18. Let's talk about the church making decisions and being unanimous in, in their decisions and, and seeking the mind of God. And, and so I prayed silently all the way to get my Bible and all the way back. I got that in my mind. I'm not going to say God gave it to me, but it was in my mind. I sat down. I said, open your Bible up to Matthew 18. Everybody opened their Bible up to Matthew 18. I prayed out loud before I started and asked God to help me because I didn't have anything planned. I haven't studied this passage in a long time, but I've preached on it over the years. I have a working knowledge of it. And I just read a verse and explained it. Asked if there were any questions, read a verse, explained it, made an illustration, made a couple of illustrations. I did that. I walked through that text, all unrehearsed, all unplanned, no notes, just an open Bible, relying on God to do what only God can. And that's to take over this little impromptu service. And he did. And the people were greatly edified by it. And when it was over, there was a lot of discussion. There was a lot. We, we just sat around for another 20 minutes and drank more coffee and talked. And, and we weren't just talking about the ball game. We were talking about that passage. We were talking about our church. And it was very beneficial. And I couldn't have orchestrated that any other way. God just worked it out providentially that we were all in this small group on this Sunday sitting around a, a table in a fellowship hall, and the Lord really helped me bring a message. And it was the message we needed. It was applicable. The people uh, were better off for it. I believe the Lord was glorified by it. We prayed, dismissed, and it was a good day. I left there and went to a uh, probably 45 minutes away to where my parents live and they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary that Sunday afternoon. So my brother and I had agreed to, you know, help set everything up, get everything together, kind of put it on so people could come by and visit my parents and and the lady at the at their church, she'd put on a lot of these and she was giving us all this advice and instruction and and she was like, you know, there probably won't be 50 people here. There was over 200. Yeah, my parents are pretty pretty famous in their little community, and they're well-loved, and they're good, godly people. And my mother teaches Sunday school. My dad served as a deacon. I mean, they're well-loved in their church. They're well-loved in their community. We have a great family relationship. So it was a big to-do. It was way bigger than any of us thought it would be. And the lady that kind of ran everything comes up to me right before we got started and says, uh, Hey, you're a preacher. I want you to say a few words and pray. And when we get started and I said, okay, I'll come up with something. Well, it wasn't just a couple minutes later. My parents pastor came in 
he said a few words and prayed and left. And I thought, Hey, they no need me. They got their own pastor here. Well, then the room really filled up with people and it got real busy. My parents were talking, they're supposed to be cutting the cake and serving the cake and nobody could serve the cake until they cut the cake. I don't know how these things work. So the lady that's kind of the, I don't know what you call her, the planner. She's really good at what she does. She comes up and she goes, now's the time. Now's when you get up and say some words about your parents, 50 years of marriage and, and then pray. And I said, okay. And then all of a sudden I was like, you got to come up with something and you got to come up with it now. And they're going and getting my parents out of the crowd and they're bringing them back to the table to turn around. And when they get turned around, I have to say, let me have your attention. And the time it took that lady to get my parents and bring them back to the table, you know, minute at most, two thoughts popped into my mind. And I was praying. I'm not going to say God gave them to me. I was praying. I was saying, God, I need something to say, not just glad mom and dad made it 50 years, but something that demonstrates this was a godly Christian marriage for 50 years. Two thoughts popped into my head. Number one, divorce is the enemy of marriage. Now I'm going to alliterate this. My mind works in alliteration. So I had divorce is the enemy of marriage. Death is the end of marriage. D E M. I can remember that. That's why I alliterate. It helps me remember my points. So everybody, I got everybody's attention and they were all looking at me and I said, guys, it's very rare that people make it 50 years married to the same person. Divorce is the enemy of marriage. And, and I'm looking at a whole room full of divorced people. Some of them divorced multiple times. And I said, our adversary likes to ruin our marriage and divorce. And it gets a lot of people. Death is the end of marriage. And a lot of people don't live 50 more years after they're married. And so even if you successfully dodge divorce, there's no guarantee you're going to make it this far in life. And I said, so there are a few people that make it 50 years married without ending in death or divorce. But if you take that small group of people and then you look at those that didn't just skate in by the skin of their teeth, they didn't come in kicking and fighting and fussing and separated five times. I'm talking about those that lived godly lives, examples to their children, examples to their community, examples to their church. See there again, three C's I've alliterated. That helps me. You may not speak that way, but that helps me. I, I had these three areas that my parents had demonstrated their faithfulness. And I said, and you all being here is a testimony that you've seen that. Me and my brother, their children are here. And we both would agree our parents did the best they could with what they had to work with. The church, this wonderful church where my parents serve Many of the members of this church are here because they've seen the, the godly life that my parents have and the way they've structured their life in this community. There are people in this town that don't go to church here. They're not in our family, but they're friends with my parents. And you've came here because you've seen how my mom and dad interact. And that's a testimony to the grace of God because apart from the saving grace of God, my parents wouldn't have this mindset. My parents wouldn't have this ability 
to put up with each other for 50 years. And so then I prayed and all that was just off the top of my head. And the only reason I can remember what I said to you is because I remember those, those things that popped into my mind. Death is the end of marriage and divorce is the enemy of marriage and children, church, and community. And off those thoughts that I gained in a minute, I delivered a little five minute, maybe three minute speech. I don't know, something like that. But people were like, you know, I never thought about it, but you're right. That's, that's kind of a simple way of putting it. I'm like, well, I'm a simple guy. That's all I got. Simple stuff. But those are two examples in one day where I was not planning to do that. I wasn't studied to do that. I hadn't really even collected my thoughts or, or anything on the topics that I ended up covering. But in both instances, it was fitting. I felt like God was glorified. I felt like people were, were encouraged. And so when I look at, 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 at that impromptu speaking, I didn't get up that morning and say, God, give me words to say if some event arises and there's an opportunity for me. Instead, I just went through my day and that happened. But a lot of times we miss these opportunities for impromptu speaking, and we miss them because we have two big hindrances. And it's not that we're not in the right location. It's not that the opportunities doesn't arise. The two big hindrances in our day, I'm going to alliterate these as well, is study culture and scared Christians. That's the two big reasons. If we get this out of the way, we'll see more Christians extemporaneously speaking about God, the things of God in public, in, in opportunities that arise in their life. Let's talk first of all about study culture. This is primarily in preachers. It can be in Sunday school teachers as well, people that are used to delivering Bible messages. I always think about uh, the times that I've uh, needed someone to fill in at a specific church. Maybe somebody in the church has called me and they said, hey, can you fill in? And no, I'm, I'm preaching in this church, but let me call around. And so I'll call a preacher out of the blue. This may be Sunday morning. And I'll say, hey, can you, uh, can you preach this morning over at this church? And they're like, well, I haven't had any time to study. Well, you don't need time to study. This is an impromptu thing. This is the occasion prompts it. It it's instantly became necessary. The time for planning is over. We need somebody to go preach. Uh, no, I can't do that. I haven't had time to study. Sometimes preachers will, will step aside from preaching because they've been too busy studying or they, they won't deliver the sermon they have on, on the agenda and they'll go grab another one because they feel like until they fully studied it out, until they have this, this firm grasp on things, until everything's locked solid in their mind, they can't speak on it. Well, I would disagree. That's what I call study culture. I talk to preachers all the time that tell me, hey, look, I, I'm spending 40 hours a week preparing one sermon. <laughs> I'm like, that, that's, not, that's not preaching you're you're trying to write a thesis or something. Can you imagine the early church fathers doing that, working full-time jobs, uh, working for subsistence living, and then studying 40 hours for one message when the church met regularly, like daily? They preached multiple times in one day. 
As a matter of fact, the great evangelist George Whitfield knew what was going to happen in his life, and he said, I can't study to this level. So I'm going to preach what he called, the term he used was extemporaneously. And he didn't study, because sometimes he would preach eight times in one day. How does a guy study 40 hours for a sermon and preach eight of them in one day? Study culture is a problem. I'm not saying we don't need to study. We need to study. I'll cover that in a minute. But when the opportunity arises, you need to trust the Spirit of God over your study. The Bible promises us that if we're taken before councils and, and principalities and we're asked to give an account of our faith, the Spirit of God will give us the words to say in due time. We can't say in prison when we're going to defend our faith. Could you send me all of John Gill's commentaries and the complete works of John Owens? I'd like to prepare a message for tomorrow. No, you've got to pray and go off what you know. And some of the greatest sermons we have recorded in the New Testament were given by men with literally zero study tools and zero study time. But these men were filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Lord took what they had and delivered it. So for you to say, I haven't studied, I can't teach Sunday school, I haven't studied, I can't preach today, is really a failure to trust God. What you're doing is you're relying on your own abilities instead of the ability of the Holy Spirit. You say, how, how can you make such a bold statement, preacher? I, I can make it this way because I've been guilty of it myself. I, I've been assigned topics to preach on on a moment's notice and had to get up and deliver it. I probably could have done a better job if I had weeks to prepare. I didn't have weeks to prepare. And evidently, in God's kind providence, it wasn't meant for me to have weeks to prepare. But here's what I did have. I had access to God in me, the spirit that dwells in us. And he is able not only to take my prayers and make them acceptable to God, he's also able to take control of the thoughts of my mind, the desires of my heart, and even loosen my tongue to say things that I didn't have planned to say. So I'm not saying don't go off and study, just rely on the Holy Spirit to give you the words in due time. I'm saying if the opportunity arises and you turn it down because you're unprepared, you didn't study, shame on you. Shame on you. You need to rightly divide the word of God. You need to be thoroughly furnished for all good works. You need to be instant in season and out of season. You need to be ready to give a defense for your faith. All of this, all of this is something that we should be willing to do regardless of how studied we are. If someone says, hey, would you say a few words? Before you say a few words, say a few words to the Lord. Ask God to make the most of this uh, opportunity that fell in your lap. Now, that's study culture, and that's primarily Christians, Sunday school teachers. I've showed up to preach at churches, and they said, by the way, you're teaching Sunday school. They hand me a quarterly. So they've already given me the lesson. 
it's laid out. I haven't read the lesson. We say, brother Harold, do you just, you told him you couldn't do that. No, I prayed about it and I did the best I could and trusted God to make it work. And here's what I have found every single solitary time that God has given me an opportunity. I may have thought, man, I could, that wasn't very good. I could have done better. Oh, I, there was so much I didn't say. There'd be a lot you didn't say if you didn't open your mouth and take advantage of the situation. Impromptu speeches show up. These extemporaneous messages are not meant for you to walk in with pre-prepared notes. They're opportunities that God gives Christians to speak. Let's talk about scared Christians. Well, what would I say? Pray and then say what the Lord gives you. I don't believe God's whispering in your ear. I don't believe the Lord's saying, tell them this, tell them that, tell them this. But I believe that the Holy Spirit can fill you and can guide your speech. And I believe God can give you the words to say. And then I'll hear this excuse from someone. Well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not asking you to pastor a church. I'm not asking you to preach someone's funeral. I'm just asking you to say a few words. Maybe it's, maybe it's at work. They're asking you to say a few words. They didn't ask you if you was a preacher. Maybe you're at your parents' anniversary. Maybe you're the only Christian in the family. Maybe this is your grand opportunity to get up. Maybe you're at Thanksgiving dinner and they want you to pray. There's an opportunity to say a few words. Maybe it's Christmas time and the whole family's together. Hey, would you say a few words before we open presents? Bingo. Oh, I can't do that. I'm, I don't know what I'd say. You just passed up a golden opportunity. Just admit it. You're just scared. I have a solution to your fears, Christian. I have the answer to all that you're afraid of. You can overcome those fears by the power of God because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have access to the throne of grace. God hears your prayers because Christ is your mediator in heaven. The Holy Spirit indwells you and empowers you and opens your mind so that you may understand the scriptures. There's no other group in the world outside of us who believe in Christ that have repented of our sins and believed on him that have this access and you claim to have it and you won't use it. Shame, shame, shame on you for being a scared Christian and shame on you, preacher, for not preaching because you haven't had time to study. I'm just sick of it. I, I, I'm getting a little preachy, but that's impromptu. That's not even in my notes. See, nowhere in here does it say preach right there. That's just, that's just where we are. We're dealing with people that think if they don't have 40 hours to study, they can't deliver a message on short notice. And we're dealing with Christians that don't know what they'd say or claim I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. That's not my gift. Well, brother Harold, if you're so confident that God could use you in this way, what would you do? Well, you can't prepare. You can't walk in with notes because then that wouldn't be impromptu. But I would be prepared. I, I think about when I'm going to Thanksgiving dinner at, at the in-laws, I'm like, you know, if they call me to pray, what am I going to pray about? If they, if they ask me to say a few words at Christmas, you know, at the, at the company picnic or whatever, uh, they know I'm a preacher. Let's say. Uh, hey, that, hey, we got a preacher here. He's going to pray for us. I might want to give a little, little mini sermon for a pray. So if I've got time and I'm thinking ahead, hey, if the opportunity arises, I want to say this and this. That's great. 
do that. Be prepared. Be ready. But when it comes to impromptu messages or extemporaneous messages, I have three keys that I wrote down. And I think if you have these three keys together, I think anybody could ask you at any time to speak on any topic and you could do it. Even if you're not a preacher. Number one, pray often. You ought to pray every day and a couple times a day at least. And I don't mean now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. I don't mean some canned prayer, but you ought to bow your head in humble submission to the God of heaven and beseech him to lead and guide and direct you throughout the day. And if you start off your day, you may not do it every day, but you ought to set it as your goal that every day before I get going, I'm going to pray and ask God to guide my steps. and to prepare me and give me words to say for every conversation that I have. Keep me from saying something that's unbiblical or unwholesome, unholy, something that's that, that would be offensive. Keep me from saying that if at all possible. There's times the gospel is going to offend people. It's not that we, we don't want to make enemies. It's we don't want to make unnecessary enemies. So pray often. If you're praying often, you're having this regular communication with God. Read your Bible often. Now, I know some people read their Bible through in a year. Some speed readers read it through in three months. I've never read it through in a year. I never will. But I'm not reading to finish. I'm reading to understand. I try to read a portion of God's Word every single day. Sometimes I read multiple chapters. Sometimes I read three verses. Sometimes I read the same three verses over and over and over. Sometimes I read one phrase and it gets me and I start meditating and thinking on it. And sometimes I'll get more out of one verse than if I read six chapters. The emphasis here is that I'm reading it regularly. I got books behind me. I'm not against reading books, but if you're not reading your Bible every day, you ought to put these books down until that book's been read. When you read that book, and I don't mean read through, I've read the Bible through. I just didn't complete it in 12 months. I've read every book in the Bible multiple times. The point I'm driving at is if we're regularly praying and we're regularly consuming Scripture, then here's what's happening. We're having a back-and-forth communication with God. We're talking to Him. He's talking to us. He's not whispering secret instruction in our ears, but we're giving Him credit for all of the good things we have in life. We're recognizing our need for him in repentance and in guidance and, and getting us through our day. And in turn, we're reading his word and getting instruction from him. And if you're reading your Bible regularly, and if you're praying regularly, number three, live holy. Let what you are in your private time with God when you pray and when you read your Bible Live the same way at work. Live the same way at the golf course. If you play that God-forsaken game, live that way in the bass boat. Live that way in the deer stand. Live that way when you're, when you're in a crowd. If you structure your life and you live as though you're a Christian. Now, look, I'm not saying if you start acting like a Christian, you'll be a Christian. I'm just saying there's symptoms of Christianity. 
If you've got the flu, it'll show up. If you've got COVID, you liable to lose your sense of smell, get a cough, run a fever, hurt all over, have difficulty breathing. That doesn't say, well, I got all these symptoms. Maybe I'll catch COVID. No, you got COVID, so you got all these symptoms. If you're a Christian and, and you're obedient to the Lord and you're following out your Christian life, if you're taking up your cross and bearing it daily, you're praying to God, you're reading his word, you've got this communication chain going back and forth. Here's what's happening in your life. You are in regular communication with God and you're carrying it out in your daily life. And then someone says, hey, we want you to say a few words. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. I wouldn't know what to say. I haven't had time to study and prepare. Your whole life is a preparation. Your daily life is a preparation. Every single day you go through this. Let me present it to you in a different question. Instead of asking you to get up and say a few words about God, let me ask you this. Say I bump into you at the mall, and I haven't seen you in 10 years. And I bump into you and I say, how's your mom and dad doing? And I know that you live right across the street from them. You won't say, well, I hadn't had time to study that topic. I don't know. Hey, hey, I, I'll have to pray about this. No, you would just say mom and dad are fine. If I ask you, hey, how's your best friend doing? That, 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 that old boy we used to run around with, you and him are still buddies. I see y'all together all the time on Facebook. How's he doing? You say, oh, man, he's doing fine. He got him a new bass boat, and uh, he's got that big motor on there. We've been winning all the Tuesday night tournaments. You'd go on for 15 minutes talking about you and him fishing because you didn't have to study for that. You've been having a conversation with him all the time, and if somebody else says, hey, what have y'all been talking about? You just turn around and spit it right out. You don't have to pray about it. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to say, well, i got to study that out. I'll have to get back to you later. You see, impromptu speaking is easy when you're familiar with the topic. If the topic is your husband, wives, you know him better than anyone knows him. You could give a doctor's report. I get those all the time. Every Baptist church gives doctor's report during the prayer meeting. We learn all sorts of medical terms and everything else. We know all that because the people are familiar with what's going on in someone's life. And when we ask them about it, they don't have any problem telling us. But when we ask them about God, oh, they, they got to pray about it and study and get on their knees and put ashes on their head and sit in sackcloth in the morning for two weeks and maybe come up with something that lasts five minutes. Hogwash. Pray often, read your Bible often, live holy. And when someone says, how's God doing? Tell them, tell them. Ain't nobody else is telling them that. They're telling them how to live their best life now. They're telling them how to be happy and get a raise and get their car paid for. And they're telling them how to, that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And they're giving them all these other instructions. You know what they really need? They really need to hear from somebody that knows God, lives like it, talks to him regularly, hears from him through reading the word. If that person gets up and says, here's what God's doing, that's refreshing. That's what the world needs. That's what backwoods Baptists have done for centuries. Centuries, I tell you. That's all we've done is we've gotten up and given conversational messages. Friend, we got to get back to it. And when I say conversational messages, I don't mean I talk to the 
audience and the audience talks back to me. But our preaching needs to resemble a conversation where we would be conveying information to the congregants. In other words, when we get up to preach, it shouldn't be so structured and outlined and put together so nice and neat that we could dissect it 12 ways and, and, and pass our hermeneutics class. But we should get up in such a way that we would communicate to people what the Word of God says, how that applies to us, what that means. And if we get up in this style, if we get up and say, hey, I've got a word from the Lord, and I don't mean some special revelation, but I've read his word. This is what it means. This is how it applies to us. This is what we should be doing in light of what God's word says. That kind of preaching is becoming largely absent in Baptist churches. That kind of instruction is becoming largely absent in our personal gatherings. That kind of instruction is not found in our Sunday school classes. And if God has a relationship with you and you're talking to him every day, he's speaking to you through the word every day, and he drops in your lap, an opportunity to have a conversation with somebody else about your relationship with God and the fellowship that you share with him and you can't tell anybody about it without studying it out, you've missed a point. If it requires you 40 hours of sitting at a desk with open books to discern what a couple verses of scripture means and telling that to the people, we're doing it wrong. I'm not against study. I'm not. I study for every sermon I've ever preached. But I've also had to rely on those years of study and devotion and instruction. When time served me where someone said, hey, the guy that was supposed to preach today is in the bathroom throwing up. Could you step up there and preach after this next song? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I know what I'm going to do. While that four verses are being sung, I am going to be praying and praying and praying and begging God to do what God's promised to do and say, Lord, every day we talk about this. Every day I pray that you'd, you'd give me the words to say in every conversation that I have. And now, Lord, you've given me a 45-minute monologue. I, I get to talk for 45 straight minutes. And, Lord, I didn't prepare for this, but you prepared me for this. And through our regular fellowship and our regular relationship, I'm confident that your spirit will guide my speech and give me the words to say. Friend, we need more of that. And that's why I do the Backwoods Baptist podcast. We need more of this. We need more of just logical understanding about and encouragement about going out and doing what God's commissioned and gifted us to do. 
I did all that talking. I had some notes. Look here. I'll show them to you. I had some notes right here. I thought about what I wanted to say. I wrote some of that down. If you have the opportunity, write down a few notes. But friend, don't feel like you have to have a 12-page manuscript to tell people who God is. Don't feel like you have to have all that to properly explain a passage of Scripture. Study. Use all the time that you have available. But realize that you have things that are more important than study. You have a family. You have a church. A lot of pastors are neglecting the church and their duties to the church so they can study. And I think, you know, we justify that. So, well, the, the, the most important thing I do all week is preach. I agree. But you do more than preach. You've got the oversight of the congregation. You've got people's spiritual health in mind. You've got hospital sick visits to make. All of those things fall in there, too. You've got the day-to-day -day operation of the church. All those things fall in there, too. You can't neglect all that and say, all I, all I do is study and, and prepare to preach. That's not a pastor. That's a preacher. Now you take all the free time you have, and you fill it with study, and you know what that passage says. When you get up there to speak on it, you be absolutely confident that you understand the text, and then trust God to help you apply it and do it. And if God, if you're at, I mean, if you're at the lake and they ask you to say a prayer before the bass boats take off, and there's been a lot of boats going up and down the road, so maybe that's why I'm using so many fishing illustrations. But if you're at the boat ramp and they say, hey, uh, we got a preacher here. I'm going to have him pray for everybody. There's your grand opportunity to say something about God and church and then bow your head and pray. Use it. Don't let it go by. The world is starving for a real Christian. They don't see them often. Here's your opportunity to get front and center. Ask God to help you live it, love it, and then let it out. You argue with me, you disagree with me, you think I'm against studying, you didn't listen very well. <laughs> you can reach out to me at pastorherald at att.net. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-R-O-L-D at att.net. Or you can sometimes find me hanging around on Twitter. I don't get on there regularly, but uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Backwoods Baptist Harold Smith. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your disagreements. I'd love to hear your encouragements. It's always good to know that somebody heard what you had to say, whether you agree or disagree. I'll be glad to clarify anything that I didn't say well. And I'm not fat, I'm thick-skinned, so if you've got a smart remark or complaint, I'll field those too. Till next time, see you right back here again on the Backwoods Baptist Podcast.